Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And as promised on our last show, today's show will focus on the offseason news with regard to the Packers' defense. And, Wes, I need to establish a little bit of a timeline here as to as to how things sure. went because as – the start of the new league year, the start of free agency mid-March um, last month, the Packers had some salary cap issues. They needed to be that 3 o'clock on March 16th, I think it was. They had to be in compliance with the salary cap. So there were some moves made that uh, that certainly had an impact on the defense. Once Darius Smith was released, Preston Smith was signed to a contract extension, which created some salary cap relief for the current year. And then Devondre Campbell was signed to a new five-year contract. And at the, at the time that the new league year began, the Packers had Preston Smith under contract, Devondre Campbell under contract, Devontae Adams' franchise tag number was under the cap. And that, for the moment, was looking like the direction the Packers were going to go. But then when it became apparent that Devontae Adams was not going to sign a long-term deal with Green Bay. The trade was worked out with the Raiders. Then suddenly more cap space became available and Rasul Douglas was re-signed and Jaron Reed was added as a free agent on the defensive line. So some dominoes started to fall after the uh, Devontae Adams trade that have given the Packers defense in 2022 uh, a, a look that maybe we weren't expecting because Going into it, I didn't think both Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas would be back, but it turns out that's where the Packers are. And and you really think about it, Mike, I think the Green Bay Packers, Devondre Campbell, that's the best situation for both players. The Green Bay Packers and Rasul Douglas, I don't think that's debatable. I think that's the best situation for both players in this. I, I'm really excited for what this Packers defense has coming back next season. I understand they took a big hit. At outside rusher, you're losing, you know, Zadarius Smith, a guy that in his two healthy seasons was went to the Pro Bowl both years, was a second-team All-Pro. The statistics that he put together, the sack numbers he put together in those first two seasons, they're legitimate, and he was a big part of this resurgence that the Packers' defense has had. Unfortunately for him, he suffers that, that back injury last year, and I think yeah. there was, you know, some structural stuff going on there. There was the cap situation, and, and we'll see exactly what happens now that he's in Minnesota. thought he was going to Baltimore for a minute, but he ends <laughs> yeah. up in Minnesota. But what happened at that same time was the Packers very quietly re-signed, or I should say extended, Preston Smith, created some more cap space there and took care of Preston for the long term. They were able to keep Devondre Campbell, which, as I've said over and over and over again, Mike, Devondre Campbell's presence in this defense has altered my belief in the inside linebacker position in today's NFL. And and he's talked, you know, at quite quite a great length over the past year about what his thought process was when he came to Green Bay last June, why he picked this place, why he felt like this was the right fit for him, why he probably left some money on the table to come and play in this defense. But the one thing he mentioned when addressing the media for the availability at the beginning of the offseason program here was he told the Packers flat out, 
I want to be a Mike linebacker. I want to be the one wearing the communication headset. I want to be the middle linebacker in the in the in the heart yeah. of the defense. He wanted to be the guy running the defense. He felt he felt he could be a star in that position. He could he could do everything that was asked of him in that leadership role on the field, and he delivered. And if you think about it, you go back to Atlanta. I've said it a couple times. I wrote it. I mean, the 2016 draft, they hit it out of the park with their linebackers that they drafted, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, with, you know, Keanu Neal and, uh, you know, um, Deion Jones and, and just the, the bodies and athletes they had. And here's Devondre Campbell in the fourth round. Right. That he was a solid player, started basically right on from his rookie year. But as Preston Smith said, he was the kind of guy that you looked at him on film was like, that guy's really impressive. He's all over, you know, all over the place. He's around the football, but he didn't know who he was. The Packers allowed him to be the centerpiece of this defense, and it let not only him really flourish, but it showed a different dimension to this Packers defense that I haven't seen really yep. in my time on the beat. Not only was the inside linebacker position filled, it was one of the best positions Green Bay had on the field. Yeah, I mean to go from a, you know a guy off the street, as the saying goes, to be to becoming a first-team All-Pro in his first season in a new location and a new defense, all of that. It was an incredibly impressive year that Devondre Campbell put together. And when he spoke with the media this week on Wednesday, as we said, there a few players were made available for the start of the off-season program. The thing that struck me is is. I didn't realize when when he signed last year it was like okay yeah he was he was in Atlanta he was drafted in Atlanta in 2016 Matt LaFleur was there as the quarterback's coach it's like okay so there's a connection there well he sort of explained yesterday to the media that it was more than just like they knew each other they they had developed a bit of a relationship. They had a lot of conversations. They got to know each other a little bit. And Campbell made it sound as though that that relationship with Matt LaFleur established way back in 2016 had a big impact on him choosing to come to Green Bay because he wanted to be that guy in the middle. He wanted to be the guy running the show. He felt that that was what he could do for an NFL team and he could become a star in this league. And he couldn't get that commitment from anybody else. But Matt LaFleur said, we'll give you a chance to do that. And his relationship with Matt LaFleur, he took him at his word and, sa and said, all right, I believe you, so I am going to come here. I am going to trust you. You need to trust me that I will deliver what I say I'm going to deliver. And it all worked out. I think the, the, it's interesting to me that there was more, what we found out yesterday is there was more to that relationship with Lafleur in Atlanta six years ago than we ever really knew. Yeah, and I got a kick out of him mentioning too, you know, because Joe Barry's always kind of the secondary figure in this because there really, on the surface, wasn't a connection there between Devondre Campbell and Joe Barry. But then we found out during that media time on Wednesday, no, there was. Brandon Staley, who was the defensive coordinator when Barry was in L.A., yeah, he recruited <laughs> Devondre Campbell out of high school. I mean, just how small that biosphere is yeah. for the NFL and, and football is just incredible. But the thing I enjoyed the most about that story in terms of the relation to, to LaFleur is it shows you not only the importance of relationships, that, that goes without saying, but Matt LaFleur understood at a very young age, in an incredibly young age, when he was moving into that position as quarterbacks coach as the Atlanta, of the Atlanta Falcons, quarterbacks. Matt Ryan, Matt Schaub, maybe a practice squad kid here and there. That's it. That's your assignment. Here he is going around creating a dialogue with Devondre Campbell. Campbell said he didn't talk to him all here and there. Oh, he was on the staff. No, every single day he was talking to 
Matt LaFleur. And I would imagine that's probably not the only player that LaFleur was talking to. Those are the things that position coaches, sure, you want to build chemistry, you want to build those sort of things, but you can see how that could kind of lay the groundwork for kind of the program that LaFleur has built here in Green Bay. I think back to last year, uh, Whitney Merciless, the first practice he was in Green Bay. Every, all the eyes are on him. And Matt LaFleur's sitting there talking to him during stretches, not for a photo op, not to, to look good. I mean, he's like legitimately talking to him and having a conversation. And yeah. that, that, that aspect of this I don't think can ever be lost, in addition to the fact that that's what allows a guy like Devondre Campbell to come in in June and immerse himself in the program. It allows Rasul Douglas in October to come in and feel comfortable in a program. You have to feel comfortable before you can be confident, and, and that's one thing with this defense especially uh, has been really solid at doing here with these new incoming players. Well, we mentioned Rasul Douglas, obviously. He's, he's back in the secondary. You look, at, you look at this defensive backfield that the Packers are putting together here for 2022. You're hoping and planning on having Jair Alexander back for the entire season after he injured that shoulder in week four and then was not able to make it back until the playoff game. So he essentially missed three quarters of the season last year. You have Eric Stokes, a potential rising star at cornerback, first-round draft pick, 29th overall pick last year, got thrown into the fire to a much greater degree as a rookie than, than expected because of Alexander's injury, but um, but this young man answered the bell every time. His arrow clearly pointing up. You have Douglas back now with the new contract, a guy that the Packers plucked off of Arizona's practice squad and, and essentially in three quarter, less than three quarters of a season becomes a Pro Bowl alternate uh, with, the, uh, with the type of year he put together. You know, pick sixes in back-to-back games. We all know about the interception to, uh, to beat his former team in, in Arizona, one of those first games he was playing for the Packers. Channon Sullivan has left as a free agent. Obviously, the Packers prioritized re-signing Douglas over Sullivan as far as the cornerback position and the dollars to allocate there. Sullivan has gone to Minnesota, um, just like Zadarius Smith. And at safety, obviously, you have Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage now together as your starting safety pair for a fourth consecutive season. It'll be the second year in Joe Barry's system. There is a lot to like about what the Packers are putting together and building here for uh, for this secondary. The the experience level, the accomplishments, the the leadership of those guys. This group is really going to be one to watch in 2022. Pound for pound, I'm trying to think of a better uh, starting five in terms of uh, my time on the beat here in Green Bay with that secondary. I mean, Adrian Amos, I think time and time again we've talked about it, Mike. He's one of the most underrated safeties in this league. And you look at the pro football focus numbers, a lot of these – you know, aggregators, they talk about these things, the things that he does that sometimes can go under the radar. And he's a fluid tackler. He's good in coverage. He has good ball tracking skills for a guy playing the safety position and having to be center field. And he can also go up into the box. Amos is the guy that I think a lot of times goes with, with people not mentioning how talented this young man is. Darnell Savage, you heard Ryan Downard say it. Feels like he still has the potential to, there to be an elite player. Certainly has the speed and the makeup. The first defensive back that was taken in the 2019 NFL draft. But the three corners that Green Bay has assembled here, that's going to be the biggest part that I think if Green Bay can make that next jump here in year two under Joe Barry's defense, it's going to start there. Because one, in a nickel and dime package, you have a multitude of options for how you want to approach that. We've talked about some of them already. 
you know, going back to the NFL owners meetings, Brian Gutekunst kind of saying, yeah, we could potentially match up Jair Alexander more. We could have him trail against some of the top receivers if that's the way that we want to do things. You know that Douglas can play outside, but he's also really physical too at the point of attack. I, I was saying it, he played maybe 50 special team snaps. I would argue he was their best special teams player last year. Really good at solid open field tackling. And Eric Stokes completely jumped off the page to me. Kind of like Jair Alexander in his rookie year, there were a couple opportunities that he wasn't able to completely cash in on when it came to interceptions. Yeah. But his coverage ability, and more importantly, Mike, the number one thing I always look for for these young guys coming in is the situation too big for them. Because we know what his speed is. We know what he did in college, especially his last year at Georgia. But when you start having to match up with some of these top receivers and they're not always going to be able to flank out a safety over the top of you, can you stand up to that challenge? Stokes did. I, yeah. I thought it was robbery that he wasn't on the, all, the PFWA all-rookie team, but I don't think he really cares. But, I mean, I just feel like this thing is set up for him to have a really solid career here. In yeah, I agree with you. I thought Eric Stokes should have been on the PFWA all-rookie team with, uh, with the type of season he had. And you talked about from – you know, from that makeup standpoint, the other thing you always watch for with a young cornerback is when he gives up a third down conversion completion or gives up a touchdown pass, how does he react? How does, how does he come back? Nothing phased this no. kid. You know, I mean, it, it, it was really, it was really impressive what he did. And getting back to your comment about this starting five in the secondary, you look at the, the nickel defensive backfield. I think you have to go back. You have to go back more than a decade, quite frankly, to find one that was, this talented and this potentially impactful. And I'm talking about the time when the Packers, their top three cornerbacks were Charles Woodson, Al Harris, and Tremont Williams. Yeah. The number one safety was Nick Collins. And then that second safety kind of shifted around. There, it was maybe Atari Bigby or Charlie Pepper. It was supposed to be Morgan Burnett, his rookie year in 2010. But then he ended up blowing out his yeah. knee, and, and, uh, and Burnett didn't really establish himself until a little bit later. But you have to really go, in my, in my estimation, you have to go back that far to find a, a nickel secondary, the top five guys that are potentially as, as talented as, as this group is. I think it bodes, I think it really bodes well. I want to touch on the defensive line here as well because we'll talk next week in our draft preview show. Certainly defensive line is an area that I think the Packers are going to start to look to build for the future here there there may be some opportunities in this draft to do that but signing a free agent in Jaron Reed a guy who's you know much much like Sammy Watkins in a sense and what I mean by that is a veteran guy who's been there and done that yeah. right he's 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 been through the wars he's been through the battles he knows what it takes to 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 be a pro to show up every day and and all of that kind of stuff and and this is a guy that you know when you have Kenny Clark Dean Lowry a uh, you know a rising, improving young player in T.J. Slayton who was drafted in the fifth round last year, re- reads a, a veteran guy who can come in and, and play a rotational role and and help to fortify that unit when whatever you do bring in from the draft, these other young guys like a Slayton from last year who are going to need to be brought along, you don't need necessarily to grab that defensive lineman and say, okay, we need you to play 50 yep. snaps a game. The Packers, because of a signing of a guy like Reed, they don't have to worry about that. It's the number one hallmark that I think has been carried on from the Ted Thompson era into the Brian Gutekunst era. Don't go into a draft with glaring needs. You might have needs, but don't go into it where it's like, okay, you have to take a player here you're going to be in trouble right where if you had to play a game tomorrow like you don't have you don't really have the horses to do exactly. it exactly you know yeah because what's going to inevitably happen is some guys are going to surprise you and they'll outplay that veteran right away some guys are going to need more time some guys are going to get hurt 
you need to create options for yourself. And for the Packers on the defensive line, I can't, I can't think of another two guys in the NFL right now, and especially at the same position that came in together in 16, like Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry have, and have played now going into their seventh season together. That's almost unheard of yeah. to be able to hit on two guys in the same draft class and have them you know, get second contracts and, and be real pivotal players for your defense. The problem for Green Bay is basically since Mike Daniels left, they've had a hard time filling that third spot of who that other guy is going to be. Right. Mo Wilkerson was in here. Montrevious Adams was drafted. Um, you know, you go back, you know, Kingsley Kiki kind of flirted with that spot for a while, but ultimately wasn't the answer. You tip your cap to Tyler Lancaster because he is a lunch pail kid that brought it every single time, was durable, was able to work through things. But ultimately, when you look at the difference between Jaron Reed and his makeup and where he comes from and his stat line in the NFL compared to a Lancaster, it's just a different caliber of athlete that you're dealing with. This is one of the guys that was highly touted coming out of Alabama. He was a guy, Mike, I remember when we were doing our draft process, I honestly knew more about Jaron Reed than I knew about Kenny Clark at that stage. Yeah, just, I did Just too. based on the Alabama connection and what they were building there. And I remember that name and thinking, could he be an option there at the end of the first round? Yep. He ends up going into the second 2018 ends up having a 10 and a half sack year for for the Seahawks but even like last year where it's only two and a half he's still a guy that can play on first and second down as well at six foot three and he played every game every game 310 pounds and to be able to do that at that size is remarkable 89 career uh, games 81 starts he's only missed eight over the last six seasons and when we talk about staples of the Packers when they look to bring in veterans Mike what are they looking for guys that have been available, guys who have been durable, and Reed checks that box. So, yeah, if they want to draft a defensive lineman this week, awesome. Or next week, awesome. Go for it. But with those three guys and with a TJ Slayton there, that gives you a rotation to work with while also developing that next group. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit of sponsor business here, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. A few other things to touch on here on today's show. We talked about the uh, the situation, the some of the changes, adjustments with the coaching staff on the offensive side. On the defensive side, you mentioned Ryan Downard. He has been um, Jerry Gray's assistant defensive backs coach. He got an internal promotion. He is now specifically the safeties coach in that uh, defensive backfield. Jerry Montgomery, who has been the defensive line coach for quite some time now here in Green Bay, he has added has a run game coordinator added to his title on the defensive side of the ball. And then Jason Rebrovich, Rebs as he asked us to call him, yeah. is the new off, uh, sorry, excuse me, outside linebackers coach. There's a lot of words you just had to squirt out there. Replacing, so. replacing Mike Smith, who, uh, who departed and uh, has actually joined Zadarius Smith over in uh, um, Minnesota. So those are, the, uh, those, are the changes, those are the changes on the defensive side of the ball and Rebrovich Rebrovich is an interesting guy because you look he you you look at his his track record he's actually mostly not to say that he hasn't worked with outside linebackers because he has but throughout his coaching career he's mostly worked with defensive yeah. linemen 
And he was the position coach for a Jacksonville Jaguars defensive line about four or five years ago. I want to say it was 2017, maybe that uh, that that Jacksonville defensive line had like three guys that went to the Pro Bowl and had 55 some sacks, which was one of the highest totals um, in the league. So this is a guy you I didn't know his name until uh, Matt LaFleur hired him and you may not know his name, but he's worked with some pretty darn good defensive front players in the NFL. Well, and the thing that's funny, Jacksonville threw all this money out at all these different players. They did again this offseason. The one thing they've probably done well over the last 10 years was what they did up front. You know, when you think back to when they got Calais Campbell and Malik Jackson and all those guys, uh, they flourished uh, down there. And it had a lot to do with the success they had while it wasn't sustainable for them during that run there in 16, 17, and beyond. Okay. This is what I love. One, in addition to him saying Rebs, a guy that often goes by Hod fully respects that move. <laughs> and also going from Mike Smith to Jason Rebrovich yeah. is going to be a big ask from a guy that with a, with a big last name himself. But what I like about what the Packers did with these moves, kind of echoing what I said the previous day, is that th- there's a pattern to it, right? and being able to have basically a a philosophical foundation for what Matt LaFleur is trying to do. This was a big offseason, offensively and defensively, for different reasons. But defensively, it is about trying to keep this train on the tracks and just picking up even more steam. And and I feel like the moves that they made, this has enabled them to kind of do that. And bringing in some new ideas too. I mean, as talented and as much of a whisperer as Mike Smith was for Rashawn Gary, Gary now going into year four, he's starting to become a made man a little bit. What can a new guy with some new thoughts and philosophies and also a guy with Gary's talent that is sort of, you know, he could play defensive end too if he needed to. Yeah. What, what can he draw from that? What can Preston Smith draw from that? So I, I really like that idea. And also kudos to Downer. You talked about him being an assistant for Jerry Gray. He actually came in with Mike Pettin's staff. He was a guy that sort of followed Pettin around, was with him in Cleveland. The Packers think a lot of the young man, and I really feel like giving him that specific group. He said he's been given assignments before, yeah. but being able to give this, get him the safeties right now, I think that's a great foundation for him now moving forward. Yeah, well, we also need to talk about what has gone on with regard to special teams here. Uh, we will work that into this show as well because the last couple years on special teams, it has not been up to, uh, up to an acceptable standard here in Green Bay. Matt LaFleur still trying to find the right formula. He has hired Rich Bisaccia as the new special teams coordinator. And this is a guy, my goodness, not only has he been coordinating special teams on the NFL level for about 20 years, but he was even a special teams coordinator, a coach at the college level before he got into the NFL 20 years ago. And the track record, this, this, this is a guy, he, he had a, he had an absolutely unbelievable 2021 season at, you know, running the Raiders special teams and then taking over as the interim head coach after John Gruden's departure with all the controversy that surrounded that. And then he, you know, gets things together enough with that Raiders team that they make a run in December in, you know, early January, the final month of the regular season to land a playoff spot. And then they actually come, you know, within a a fourth and goal play in the wild card game against Cincinnati from being able to to get to overtime against the team that ended up representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. Um, A tremendous coaching job by Bisacci. He uh, uh, did not get the 
um, the full-time job as the uh, as the head coach for the Raiders. So he started looking at other opportunities, and Matt Lafleur wanted wanted to find somebody who was going to come in here with with his own philosophy, with an established way of doing things on special teams. And uh, and this is the guy the Packers are counting on to turn this around. Basaccia wanted to turn the page to 2022, as will I here momentarily talking about the Packers special teams and what he brings to that. But he didn't want to say that he wanted to go there. I will. I'll put my name behind it. I, I don't know how he wasn't the Raiders pick as the next head coach. I, I, agree, I agree with you. It blew me away. That's as challenging of a situation that I think anyone has really inherited here. Yeah, he, in, came, he came through that with flying colors, and yet, and yet somehow the Raiders still wanted to go in another direction. The playoffs is one thing. The close loss in the playoffs is another thing. The, the fact that he was able to help them keep that team together I think speaks – Everything you need to be said as far as what he's like as a coach and what he brings to the table. And it wasn't just the Gruden thing, of course. There were issues with off-the-field issues with players and Tons coming and going stuff. on the roster, all sorts, of, all sorts of craziness. That season for the Raiders had every reason to go off the rails and never come back, and he got them into the postseason. It was impressive. Yeah, and I'm sure that's something that, looking back on his coaching career, he can definitely be proud of. Here's what I liked about what Matt LaFleur said when we were when we were down at the I believe it was the owners meetings. He mentioned, you know, you're in for a treat when you meet Rich Basaccia because at that <laughs> point we hadn't talked to him yet. He's like he's a fiery guy. And his accurate he was accurate in that description. But what stands out to me it wasn't all hellfire and brimstone, right? It's almost like when you when you when you get your fire started at home or if you have the gas one too, and it just has that blue sort of line. Everybody knows that's where the hottest part of the fire is, right? It's yeah. not the red, it's the blue, right? right. That's Rich Passaccia because it's not just this in-your-face, I'm going to go and just start screaming at everybody. It's this quiet intensity yeah. when we were talking to him that really stood out to me. It's in his core, right? It's, and the way yeah. he speaks about special teams, it was like listen to a physicist talk about you know their field you know, or somebody that's just like minutely – instrumentally invested into the details. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's what's been missing, but it just shows you the level to which this guy thinks of that phase of the game. He talked, it's not offense, it's not defense, it's defense. He said, it's the one phase, man, where you bring in a running back and a linebacker and you got them lined up next to each other for the betterment of the team. And they have to execute. They have to execute. And his vision, Mike, this wasn't a guy that just came in and said, okay, yeah, where's the contract? I'll sign it. I'm going to go up into my office, grab some coffee. I'll see you at four. This guy actually <laughs> was like, Pat O'Donnell, I like this guy. Packers need a punter. We tried to sign him four years ago and didn't get him. Right. Let's go take a look at him. Keyshawn Nixon, a kid that came in as an undrafted free agent three years ago with the Raiders. He gets non-tendered. The Raiders, I don't know if you know this or not, Mike, Las Vegas had like 26 restricted free agents. I don't even know how that happens, but they non-tendered a bunch of these guys. Nixon was one of them. Basaccia, the Packers, they call him into Green Bay. We need core guys. We need six core guys, as he said, on our punt coverage team, and then we'll build out the rest from there. The vision is in place, and I really like that because when you have a vision and you have discipline to match that, that's how you get stable units. Yeah, well, and you mentioned we've already, we've already seen – Bisacci's influence on the personnel on special teams with the acquisition of O'Donnell as the new punter, a guy that, as you said, he tried to get him a handful of years ago when, uh, when he originally got the Raiders special teams job, and that didn't work out, and O'Donnell stayed in Chicago. But now the Packers have 
him as the new punter, and Nixon, a uh, reserve cornerback and uh, a regular on special teams for him there with the Raiders. So, And I think that influence in personnel on special teams is going to continue with, uh, with Bisaccia. As far as his track record goes, the uh, – for the for the fans for the fans who aren't aware, there's a longtime NFL analyst. He's worked worked for the Dallas Morning News. He is a uh, highly respected member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame selection committee. I'm talking about Rick Goslin, and for years and years and years, and Rick is a great guy. Rick has put together. He has a statistical formula whereby he sort of throws all the numbers together, shakes them all up, and and ranks everybody's special team so it's, it's combining all your units your punt your kickoff your return units in both ways your field goal unit all of all of anything that goes into special teams goes into his formula and then and then he ranks them Basachi has been a special teams coordinator in this league for 20 years eight times out of 20 Basachi's units have ranked in the top 10 in Goslin's rankings, and he just missed another top 10 ranking last year because the Raiders finished 11th in his rankings. Now, you might say, well, you know, 8 out of 20. Well, when you look at the fact that you have punt return, kickoff return, punt coverage, kickoff coverage, field goal, any one of those five units goes south, and it's really hard to finish ranked in the top 10 when everything is packaged together, right? So the fact that 8 out of 20 and almost 9 out of 20 um, he's had his units for various teams across the NFL rank in the top 10 in Goslin's rankings. I think that's, that's, a, uh, that's a track record that stands on its own. And let's be honest, Mike, it's been, what, 15 years since the Packers have been in the top 10? I think they been a one long year time. underneath Sean Slocum, I think they were able to creep up to 11th or 12th, but otherwise it's been kind of a grind here for the Packers. Yep, Two, the 2007 special teams, I've been here since 2006. The 2007 special teams were the highest that I can recall where the the Packers ranked. They were they were up there in the top in the top 8 or top 9 or something like that of the league. But since then, yeah, it's been it's it's been a tough slog to try to get amongst those league leaders. So trying to to get some you know some momentum built here, I think as I was saying at the end of last season, it you know, it went from a time of oh could they mix in a fake field goal or hey you know they haven't had a punt return for a touchdown in a while. It's kind of shifted to can you just get you know the eleven out there playing together, playing as one, and, and minimizing the mistakes. And it's not easy. You know, as Randall Cobb was saying when he was talking about some of the offensive things and the young guys coming up on that side of the ball, this thing ain't easy. It's not easy to recover an onside kick. It's not easy to pass protect or, you know, punt protect. All these things, definitely not easy to cut, catch a punt return. But it's a part of the game, and you need to be able to have that consistency. So I, I think that's the exciting thing. The Packers needed something that was going to change the wins here, and it's going to take work. And it's going to take some months here to be able to build this next phase up. But you're seeing the commitment now, and I think you pay enough into that, you're going to see it by the time we get to the regular season. Yeah, well, Wes, the draft is a week away. We will preview the draft, take a look at the picks the Packers have, what positions, maybe you know, drop some names of players that might be available in those early rounds. We will do all of that on our next show. But for now, we're calling it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team. Lots of draft preview information, prospect primers, position-by-position roster series. All of that stuff is out there for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.